0: Are you enjoying this free audiobook from Scribble.com? You may not know that Scribble has much more than just free audiobooks. Audiobooks, ebooks, we're adding new titles all the time. You can skip these ads and get higher quality audio files by purchasing audiobooks on Scribble. Even better, every audiobook you buy from Scribble comes with the ebook at no additional charge. Visit us at scribble.com. That's S C R I B L dot com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the serial audiobook Alive, an unabridged podcast of Book One in the Generations Trilogy. Written by Scott Sigler, performed by Emma Galvin. This novel is available in print, ebook, or as a full length audiobook. For links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Audible, please visit scottsigler.com slash alive.
1: Eleven. Blazing red spreads across his white shirt, flowing down, mostly, but also rising up, wetness winding through the fabric. I didn't even feel the blade go in. I didn't. It was just there. Already inside him, like it had always been there. The circle in a circled disc on the knife hilt gleams under the ceiling light. Gems flickering the same color as Yang's blood. The hallway is still. There is no noise at all. I can't move. Yang looks up, looks at me. There are tears in his eyes. A grown man's face wearing a little boy's expression of fear and confusion. But, my turn, he says. Then his legs stop working. He falls away from me, turning as he does. The knife still in my hand slides free. He lands on his shoulder, tucks up into a ball like he did when he fell out of his coffin. I see a spot of blood spread across his lower back, staining the white shirt wet red. The blade went all the way through that impossible stillness that time turned to unforgiving stone it lasts forever then it is gone bello screams hands covering her face Aramovsky takes a half step behind bello spingate rushes to young kneels next to him her knees almost touching his she leans over him looks at his back oh no she says young Lie flat, let me see the cut. Yang's hands clutch at his belly. The hands are mostly hidden by his thighs, but not enough that I can't see the blood covering his fingers. He lets out a long, low moan. His eyes stay squeezed shut. Spingate's hair hangs down, gets in the way. She rubs madly at her thighs like she doesn't know what to do with her hands, then slaps a palm hard on Yang's shoulder. I said lie flat. Bello leans in, her cheeks glistening with tears. Stop hitting him, do something. Spingate shakes her head, again rubs hard at her thighs. She looks up at me. Em, don't just stand there, come help. The knife falls from my hand and clatters on the floor. Dust instantly clings to the blood that streaks the blade. I kneel behind Yang's back. What do you want me to do? Help me make him lie flat, Spingate says. Her voice, still rushed, but now calmer that someone is doing this with her. We have to put pressure on the wound. She reaches under Yang's shoulder, and his leg lifts, while I grab a shoulder and a knee and pull. We roll him to his back. He's still curled up tight, the curve of his spine like the curve of an egg, and I have to hold him in place to keep him from flopping over again. Young starts to sob, the vibrations shaking his whole body. His mouth is wide open, a string of spit gleams between his lips. It hurts, he says, it hurts. Spingate puts a hand on his cheek, rapidly pets his black hair away from his forehead. Young, listen to me, she says. You've been stabbed, I have to look at the wound. He shakes his head, as if to force her hand away. No, no, it hurts. Make it stop. Spingate reaches up and backhand flips her red hair behind her. She glares at Bello and Aramovsky. Come here and help us. Aramovsky rushes over, puts his hands on Yang's knees and gently pulls, trying to open the boy up. No, Yang says. It hurts. Go get my mom. Please go get my mom. He's pleading for something we can't give him. His voice sounds wrong. Words like his belong to a voice that is higher and thinner than what we hear. I feel wetness on my knees, his blood spreading across the floor. Spingate's upper lip curls in fury. She shakes Young's shoulders, leans in and screams in his face. Relax your legs, relax them. Bello reaches in, yanks at Spingate's arm. Stop it, Spingate. You don't even know what you're doing. Spingate whips her left arm back without looking, trying to brush Bellow off. But her elbow cracks into the smaller girl's mouth. Bellow's hands fly to her face. She turns, half bent over and stumbles away. I don't think Spingate even knows she hit her. Aramovsky is patting Yang's knees as he pulls. Open up. The tall boy says in a voice that's both deep and patient. Open up. Young lets out a long moan, one that's chopped up into short bits by his chest rattling sobs. His eyes are squeezed so tight. Snot drips from his nose, runs down his left lip and cheek. He finally relaxes his legs, lets Aramovsky and me gently move them out of the way. He is flat on his back. Body twitching slightly. His blood drenched hands remain pressed hard against his stomach. From the chest down, his entire shirt is red. Spingate grabs at Yang's neck, pulls off his tie, and hands it to me. Press this against the wound when I get his hands out of the way, she says. We need to stop the bleeding. I take the tie. Spingate again leans close to Yang's face. You have to move your hands she says. Okay, move your hands. Not knowing what else to do, I start petting his head like Spingate did, sliding my palm from his eyebrows back. Blood on my hands smears across his circle star, gets into his hair. His skin, it's cool, clammy, and not just from the blood. He's sweating. I look at Spingate. Do something! She tugs at his hands, trying to pull them away from his stomach. I'm trying, she says. Can't you see that I'm trying? Young's hands won't budge. Spingate leans over them, pulls harder, but his hands stay in place, clutching so tight I wonder if his fingertips are punching through the skin, causing even more damage. Aramovsky, she says, help me here. He does as he's told his black-skinned fingers wrapping around Yang's blood-covered wrists, pulling them gently but insistently, overpowering Yang's resistance. Yang's fingers clutch at open air. Mom, it hurts. Not as much energy in his words now. The mom comes out as a long, broken word, mom. Spingate rips Yang's shirt open, sending buttons flying. His tanned skin is a sheet of smeared red. She wipes her hands down his muscled belly, shoving away the blood, making him almost clean for a moment, but only a moment, because red wells up out of a stab wound slightly above and to the left of his belly button. Gush, flow, gush, flow. Spingate slaps my shoulder. M, the tie. I shove it against the wound, so fast he cries out like I punched him there. I press the tie firmly, hoping it will do what Spingate said it would do. Yang looks at me with unfocused eyes. Mom, please, make it stop. The words are weak. His hands relax, shift from clutching talons to limp fingers. His eyes close. Did he pass out? Spingate shakes him again. Young, wake up! The tie is already soaked, a wet washcloth that needs to be wrung out. But I keep it pressed in place. If he's asleep, he won't fight us, I say. Why don't you want him to sleep? She looks at me confused. Why? I, I don't know. Just because. Eramovsky glances at me, his eyes full of doubt. He doesn't think Spingate knows what she's doing. She doesn't, clearly but none of us do. Yang's entire body relaxes. His head tilts to the left. Aramovsky lowers Yang's hands, puts them on the ground next to his hips. Spingate is breathing too fast. She shakes her head. I'm 12, she whispers. I'm 12. She rubs at her thighs. I see tears dripping down her cheeks. Stop it, I hiss. Crying doesn't fix anything, help him. Spingate looks at me, a fast glance where she catches my eyes. Then her hands go back to work. She places them flat on Yong's belly, one on either side of the tie. And lift it away, slowly, she says, and I do. The blood burbles out suddenly, like we'd filled a balloon and then opened the end. The brief gush flows down his side. The gush that follows is much smaller. I wait for the next one, but it doesn't come. The bleeding has stopped. I look at the tie in my hands. Red fabric soaked with red. Red that drips down onto Yang, onto my legs, onto the floor. Yang's blood has turned the dust beneath my knees from powder gray into a crimson slush. Spingate blinks like she just remembered something. She presses two fingers firmly to Yang's neck. He doesn't react. Aramovsky and I stare. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Bello coming closer, hand over her mouth, eyes wide, head shaking slightly. Spingate moves her fingers, tries another spot. A pulse. That's what she's looking for. A pulse. She moves her fingers again. To below his jaw, pressing them in so deep the skin and muscle of Yang's neck billow up on either side. He doesn't move. My eyes drift to the stab wound, the wound that I made. A thin line of blood lies in it, pooled there, unmoving. Spingate pulls her shaking hand away. He's, he's gone. The word turns Yang from a person into a thing. I fall to my butt, scoot away, leaving a wide smeared path through the slush until my back hits the wall and I can go no farther. I stare at the scared little boy who wanted his mother. Yang is dead. I killed him. Twelve. I don't know how long we sit there. Spingate is crying, so is Bello, and this time I don't think she's being weak. I wonder if I should be crying too, but no tears come. Young's blood is all over my shirt, my plaid skirt. Spingate is blood smeared as well, with two prominent streaked handprints on her ribs where she tried to wipe her hands clean after he died. I know it's not her own blood. And I know it's not the right way to think about it, but I'm almost glad she's finally dirty. Aramovsky's shirt is spotless, not a speck on it, not even a wrinkle. It's not your fault, Em, he says. It was an accident. Of course it was, I snap. But was it? I was so mad, those feelings of hate roiling through me. I wanted to hurt Yang, but if he hadn't rushed at me, if he hadn't tried to hit me, I wouldn't have done anything. So Aramovsky is right. It's not my fault. Aramovsky stands, walks over to O'Malley, gently tries to wake the fallen boy. I stare at Yang. I'm waiting for him to move, like this is a game and I've been tricked. He's going to sit up and smile, and everyone will laugh because they are all in on it. But no one is laughing, and Yang doesn't move. Eramovsky helps O'Malley to his feet. Blood runs from O'Malley's nose, and more trickles from a cut over his right eye. He stares down at Yang. O'Malley looks at all of us in turn, as if he too is waiting for someone to tell him this is a game. I see his eyes flick from Yang to the bloody knife, back to Yang, and then to me. Him? What happened? I glare at him. He would know what happened if he hadn't gotten knocked out. Come to think of it, if he hadn't gotten knocked out, none of it would have happened at all. He can defend me with words, it seems, but not with his fists. O'Malley doesn't look so beautiful anymore. Aramofsky puts his hand on O'Malley's shoulder. Young attacked M, Aramovsky says. She protected herself, And stabbed him, I'm on my feet so fast I don't recall trying to stand. I did not stab him, he ran into the knife. It was an accident, Aramovsky. an accident. My shouts bounce off the walls. Both Aramovsky and O'Malley lean back a little bit away from me. An accident, Aramovsky says to O'Malley and nods. It was obviously an accident, like Em said. I suppose if Yang hadn't put you down, he wouldn't have attacked him. He'd still be alive. O'Malley winces. Did it hurt him to hear that? Good, it should hurt him. Spingate tried to save him, Aramovsky says. The cut, it was very deep. There was nothing anyone could do. O'Malley's expression remains blank. He stands there, bleeding. He steps to Yang. Kneels in the crimson slush. He stares at the body, but talks to us. Why did he attack us like that? He went crazy. No, he wasn't crazy. He wanted to lead. He wanted it bad enough that he had no problem hitting to get his way. Young was a bully. O'Malley stands. He brushes slush from his pants. He sniffs. He's crying. Not the noisy sobs of Bellow and Spingate, but he doesn't try to hide the tears that line his cheeks. This is horrible, he says. Then he looks at me. So, M. what now? Is he joking? I'm the leader who took us nowhere, who didn't find food, who put a knife in Yang's belly, and O'Malley still thinks I should decide? Spingate is also looking at me. So is Bellow and Aramovsky. They are all waiting. Yes, I am the leader, and I should be. I'm the one making the decisions. I'm sorry Yang is dead, but that wasn't my fault. It was his. We go straight, I say. I reach down and pick up the knife. No, Bello says, the word almost as a scream. I told you the knife was a bad thing. Leave it, Em. Just leave it. I ignore her. My skirt is ruined anyway, so I wipe the blade clean against it, first one side, then the other. Spingate's stomach rumbles. She hangs her head, her face hidden by thick red curls. I take a few steps down the hall until my feet are once again on untouched gray. The others hesitate. Let's go, I say. We have to get moving. O'Malley tilts his head down at Yang. What about him? Do we carry him? Or maybe we take him back to the coffin room, so he's not on the floor? The question makes our situation hit home. Young is dead, and I'm going to leave him here. We don't know how far we have yet to walk. We have no food and no water. Our mouths are so dry, our lips are starting to crack. We're already exhausted. We can't afford the energy needed to carry a dead body. He'll be lonely here. I try to chase away that thought, because it is the thought of a silly little girl. Young is gone. I didn't like him, but he was one of us. Abandoning his body is wrong. I know it in my heart, but what choice do we have? No, I say. I'm sorry, but we can't take him with us, and we're not going back. He's dead, he stays here. O'Malley looks down at Yang, as if he wants to argue with me, and his reasons for doing so are right there, somewhere on the body. He stares for a long while, thinking, then nods slowly. I guess you're right, he says, but, I don't know. Shouldn't we bury him or something? Spingate stands, flicks red slush from her clothes. That would be a neat trick, O'Malley, wanna dig right through the floor? O'Malley wipes his face with the back of his hand, clearing off both blood and tears. He looks down the dark hall. I can see an archway door, he says. Hard to tell, but it looks open. There might be empty coffins inside. I'd forgotten about that archway, just at the edge of the hall's dim light. O'Malley wants to put Young in a coffin. I suppose that's better than leaving him here. All right, I say, do it quick and come right back. He glances at me, questioning at first, then understanding. I can't touch Young. I don't even want to be near him. Sure, Em, O'Malley says. Ermolsky, will you help me? The taller boy nods. We should say a few words first, he says. Well, everyone is here with him. Spingate huffs in disgust. The dead don't care what you say. She walks to me, stands by my side and waits. Aramovsky presses his hands together, holds them near his chest. He closes his eyes and tilts his head back. There is something familiar about the gesture. Another thing from our past that our memories won't reveal. Spingate crosses her arms. We're wasting time. Bello points at her. You shut up, Spingate. You think you're so smart, but you couldn't save Yong, could you? Spingate turns away as if Bello had slapped her. I tried, she says. I tried. O'Malley, Aramovsky, and Bello are looking at me, waiting for permission. Make it quick, I say. Aramovsky's hands drop to his waist. We're all afraid he says. Young didn't choose to be here any more than the rest of us did. We will never know why he attacked us. No one meant for him to die. Today, today was his birthday. The words themselves are meaningless. The way Aramovsky says them, though, the smooth, calm tone of his voice, his words are comforting. We still have no idea what's going on. And this nightmare keeps getting worse. But like the rest of us, Yang was a 12 year old kid. It isn't my fault he's dead. Now that I think about it, it isn't his either. The fault lies with whoever put us in those coffins and abandoned us in this dungeon. Thank you, Ermovsky. I say. Bello can't stop crying, her eyes are puffy and red. She kneels next to Yang, her body trembling. She touches her forehead to his. She stays there for a moment. It's heartbreaking to watch. It almost brings me to tears. But still, no tears come. She stands, head hung low, Bellow moves past me. Young lays alone in a trampled smeared ring of crimson slush. Now he's just like the grown ups we left behind. A victim of violence. Dead because a knife punched holes in his body. I wonder how long it will be before he crumbles to dust. There is nothing else we can do here. I look at O'Malley, tilt my head toward the dark hall. O'Malley grabs Young's wrists. Aramofsky takes his ankles. Together they walk down the dim hall. The dead boy a shallow curve between them. His head hanging limply and jostling with every step. They carry him away. Fellow Spingate, and I wait. It doesn't take long. O'Malley and Aramovsky come back, without Young. I don't know if they left him in a coffin, but they left him, and I feel relieved. The two boys join us. Aramovsky still doesn't have any blood on him, but his expression is different. He's seen something that frightened him, disturbed him. I look to O'Malley. He won't meet my eyes. I know what he and Aramovsky saw, more murdered children. All the coffins have been torn open, Aramovsky says. His voice sounds different, like the last bit of breeze before a gust of wind fades away completely. We found one where the lid still moved. We put Yong inside and pushed the lid closed. It clicked shut, he is at rest. I wonder if they put him on top of a skeleton, or move the skeleton to the floor so Young could lie alone. I decide I don't want to know. Time to leave, I say. I turn and move down the hall. The others follow. This time, O'Malley stays with them. I walk out in front, alone. 13, we walk uphill. We are covered in blood. Fellow's lower lip is swollen and split. O'Malley's nose has stopped bleeding, but a few drops still ooze from the cut over his eye. The hallway goes on and on. The dust is endless. There has to be way out of this place. There has to be. My mouth is dry and pasty. I'm so thirsty. I'm not hungry anymore, but I think that's not a good thing. My head hurts. The others are in the same shape they shuffle more than walk. They look beyond tired, with dry lips and sunken eyes. Maybe we were all perfect when we woke up, but not anymore. If we don't find water soon, will we be able to keep walking? And we need to sleep. If we find any coffin rooms farther up, maybe we'll rest for a while. Every few steps, I see Yang's wide eyes, the look of disbelief on his face. It was an accident. Everyone thinks so. There was nothing I could have done. He ran into the knife. He did. He was going to hit me. Was I supposed to let him? I look at my hand, the right one, the one that holds the knife. His blood, dry now, is in the folds of my knuckles, mixed in with the dust and tacky sweat that covers me head to toe. I've never been this dirty. I've never been this sweaty and disgusting. I've never been this afraid, this thirsty, this alone. I haven't been a good leader, but four people are counting on me to take them to safety. I don't know if I'm 12 or if I'm 20, and I don't think age matters anymore. We are the only ones here. There is a way out. I will find a way out. Behind me, I hear sniffling. I turn expecting to see Bello crying yet again. But it's not her. It's Spingate. I stop. So do the others. You did everything you could for him, I tell her. At least you did something. The rest of us were useless. She shakes her head. It's not that. It's just. Maybe they're all dead. Aramovsky puts his arm around her shoulders. All who is dead? All the grown ups, Spingate says. I'm so tired. I don't want to do this anymore. But if they're gone, then there's no one left to rescue us. We'll be all right, Aramovsky says, then glares at me like I'm the one that made Spingate cry. M is our leader. She says she knows what she's doing. I've said no such thing. Is he trying to make a point? I'm starting to think that Aramovsky says one thing but means another. Bellows' hands come together again, clutching and turning in constant motion. What if Spingate is right? she says. If there are no grown ups, what are we going to do? Aramovsky nods. Yes, Savage. What then? Who is going to take care of us? We all saw each other's coffins. Everyone knows my last name, but Aramovsky is the first to speak it. Even I haven't said it out loud. I don't like that name, and I don't know why. Hearing it makes me uncomfortable. I think he knew that it would, so why did he do it? Because he wants to make me look bad in front of the others. Anger flames in my chest. He's challenging my leadership, that's what he's doing. He thinks he should be in charge. My fingers flex on the knife handle. Fury sweeps over me, an urge to teach Aramovsky a lesson. Then I recognize that feeling, and when I do, it vanishes, replaced by a chill of realization. It was exactly how I felt when Yang came at me. In the shameful calmness that follows, I understand that Aramovsky wasn't challenging me. He was just talking. There was no harm in that. And even if he was challenging my leadership, that's okay as long as he's not hitting anyone. If I'm not the right leader, then someone else is. I don't care who is in charge. I want to get out of this place. Maybe there aren't any grown-ups, I say. If that's true, then we will survive without them. They stare at me like my words are as unknown as their first names. Even Aramovsky's glare dissolves into astonishment. Is it really so impossible to think that we can make it on our own? I point behind them, back the way we came. You want someone to take care of us? Were the people who died back there supposed to do that? You saw what they did to each other. They murdered little kids in their coffins if the grown-ups are all gone i hesitate knowing i am about to say something none of them want to hear saying it might make this real maybe i can't remember anything but i know that reality is what it is whether we like it or not if the grown-ups are really gone well then good i say we don't need them we don't need someone else to rescue us we can rescue ourselves I feel my face flush, so I turn and start walking again. Rescue ourselves? I suddenly feel like an idiot. We don't know where we are. Don't know who we are. We're kids. We're not supposed to be on our own. After what I just said, will the others still follow? Four sets of feet shuffling along behind me answers my question. Aramovsky falls in on my left. Maybe the grown-ups didn't do it to themselves, he says. Quietly, then louder. Maybe, maybe it was a monster. The word hits us hard. A word made of shapeless forms, woven from fear. Monster is all the things we don't understand. And right now, we don't understand anything. Spare us, Spingate says. There's no such thing as monsters. Aramovsky looks over his shoulder at her. Really? And how do you know there aren't monsters? There just aren't, Spingate says. Monsters are something only babies believe in. Aramovsky and Spingate start to argue, but I don't hear their words. Far up ahead, I see something. A break in the floor meets ceiling illusion. This time, I know what it is. There's another corridor up ahead, I say. Their argument stops instantly. Suddenly, I'm not quite as tired. I pick up the pace, walking so fast I'm almost jogging. I don't care if this new hallway is like the last one, dim, maybe even dark. But we're going that way because I am desperate to see something different. For the first time since Yang died, I find O'Malley at my right side. Em, maybe we should take it this time. We'll see, I say. I don't know why I said that because I've already made up my mind to do exactly what he wants. The sound of our footsteps fills the hall with a soft thudding. We close in, kicking up a trail of dust that hangs behind us. Over the sound of our running, I hear something else. I slow quickly, plant my feet and slide to a stop, my arms out to the sides to keep anyone from running past me. Em, watch out. O'Malley says as he stutter steps to avoid the knife blade that almost touches his belly. I start to apologize, but Aramovsky runs into me from behind. He grabs my shoulders, keeps me from falling forward. Sorry, he says. You stopped so fast. Bellow is on my left, hands ringing. Em, what's going on? I glare at them all, hold a finger to my lips. They fall quiet. We stand still, no steps, no words, not even breathing. In the silence, I hear the noise again, faint at first, but quickly growing louder. It's coming from the intersection of the new hallway. It is the heavy sound of footsteps marching in time.
0: You have been listening to Alive, book one in the Generations Trilogy. Written by Scott Sigler. Performed by Emma Galvin. Produced by Adrian Galvin. And engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Follow Scott on Twitter and Instagram, where his handle is at Scott Sigler. S-C-O-T-T-S-I-G-L-E-R. One word, or join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. Theme music is the song Unseen Horrors by Kevin MacLeod.